0: was a German pastor, and uh, at the advent of World War II, he understood that the Nazi Party in his country was not about the good of man, not about God at all, and so he would speak because of his faith against the Nazi Party and their leader, Adolf Hitler. Because of that, in April 1943, he was arrested and taken to a concentration camp, Buchenwald. And he was there for two years. And he continued, he led the chapel services. He continued to to speak for the Lord, even though it was unpopular. In April of 1945, shortly before the war ended, just a few months before, on April 8th, he led the chapel service, as he normally did on Sunday. And then two men came in and said, the SS officers want to see you. And everybody knew what that meant. They knew that he was going to be killed. Undergo capital punishment because of his opposition to Hitler. And it's remarkable what happened. That other men said goodbye to him. An English prisoner who survived the war described the moment. He said he took me aside and he said, this is the end. But for me, it is the beginning of life. This is the end, but for me, it is the beginning of life. The next day, he was hanged at Flossenburg Prison. That's this doctor who witnessed his death called him brave and composed and devout to the very end. Through the half-open door, he watched Pastor Bonhoeffer on his knees in his prison clothes, kneeling in fervent prayer to the Lord. A devotion and evident conviction of his conversation with God moved him to the depths remarkable isn't it how some people face trials and troubles with confidence with peace with joy and others fall to pieces when faced with similar trials what makes the difference you remember we're studying in first peter Peter writing to people who are going through trials and troubles of many kinds because of their faith in Jesus Christ, because their faith in Christ compels them to be opposed to the powers of the world, to what's popular or right in the world. Because of that, it's caused them great trouble. And so in facing these trials, Peter wants to tell them how to properly see how to have a proper perspective about those trials. A lot of great leaders have come to that conclusion themselves. Michael Muggeridge, who was an atheistic journalist who converted late in life to Christ, he actually wrote that it was in his life those times of affliction, those times of adversity that by far were more important to him than the times of pleasure and good. Martin Luther said, Adversity is the greatest book in my library. How is it that we can learn to see things that way? That is what we're going to do today as we look at 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. I hope that this will help us to see our life and the the trials and troubles that come in a different way. I hope that it will even more encourage us to draw close to God and allow him to grow, allow him to To take our faith and magnify it to where we might, like Bonhoeffer, when we face our death, say, this is the end, but for me, it is the beginning. I want for each of us to, to know what it means to have faith and even joy in the midst of trial. There are two important words here in these two verses. The first is trial. Parasmos in Greek, it means trial, trouble. It can even mean temptation. It refers to hardship, whether it be physical or financial, whether it be mental or emotional hardship that we face. And then joy is a second important word. He says to greatly rejoice. Joy is not the same thing as happiness. Happiness is more conditional. We're happy when we have a good meal. We're happy when we are having a good time with our loved ones. We. We're happy in those places, but joy is is a different kind. It's more of a an unconditional state of being. It, it literally, I think of joy as being satisfied with God, as being content with God, no matter what's going on in our lives. It's an outproduct of faith, isn't it? You can only have that kind of satisfaction and contentment when when you know God and. And you trust God no matter what's going on in your life. Joy and trial. Let's look at that. The first thing, and there are four truths here that these two verses teach us. The first is this our trials are brief. This is in verse six. And all this, all these trials, all these troubles, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, you greatly rejoice in your identity in Jesus Christ. You greatly rejoice because you know God, no matter what's going on, for a little while. (laughs) You know, it's easy when other people are struggling for us to say it's just a little while. But when we're in the midst of it, it seems like forever, doesn't it? If you're waiting for surgery, it seems like it takes forever If you're trying to recuperate in the pangs of physical therapy, it takes forever. You know, if you hold your breath, a minute, two minutes, three minutes, that's a long time, isn't it? But it's not a long time in anything else we talk about. You talk about the the stay of a minister in one place. Uh, There was a minister I I visited with, one of my friends from Georgia, who actually was at his church in ministry for 50 years. Can you imagine? Five decades as, boy, yeah, you'd have to hear his sermons more than once, would you? But that's not that long, really. And what I would encourage you to understand is as our faith grows, we learn to see things the way God sees them. And for God, he views time in a different way. 2 Peter 3.8, the second letter Peter wrote, it says this, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. He doesn't see time the same way. And even more, what I, I think behind, is behind this saying, your grief and troubles us for a little while is, yes, they may be temporary, they may stop in this life, but even more, they are brief compared to all of eternity. Friends, the good news and what we must constantly have before us in our minds is this is not our home. This is not our eternal destiny. This is not our eternal destination. For those of us who believe are true to God that there is a place prepared for us in the holy city where there is no more pain or mourning or tears or grief. You see, it is my job. As the preacher to you to tell you this, that to prepare you how to look for eternity and look to eternity, even in the midst of this life, to remember your home in heaven so that it increases your joy, increases your satisfaction in this life, no matter what trials temporarily you're struggling with. Our trials are brief. Secondly, he's telling us our trials are necessary. Our trials are necessary. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. In the Greek it actually says they're necessary for a while, these trials. Necessary? Why? If you've ever been engaged in a weight training program, that's exactly what you need to hear. It's in the lifting It's in the difficulty of struggling with that weight that your muscles are torn down and then grow back bigger. It's in running on a continual basis, challenging yourself, that your cardiovascular system expands and becomes more efficient and enables you to grow in endurance. It's in physical ways, the trial that that grows us stronger and similarly, It's in spiritual, the spiritual sense that that our trials are necessary. They're necessary to make us who we need to be. C.S. Lewis says that God whispers to us in our pleasure, but he shouts to us in our pain. He whispers to us in our pleasure, but he shouts to us in our pain. He says it's God's megaphone to help us see what we can be. It's in the trials that we learn and we grow. It's in the trials that we are molded into who he wants us to be. Our temptation is to try to avoid trial. Our temptation is to not speak up, to get along. It would have been easy for Bonhoeffer, I'm sure many other pastors took this road. When Hitler spoke out, In ways that were contrary to the Christian faith, that were discriminatory and demeaning to other beliefs, ethnic groups, it was easy for many to be silent. But some would speak up. Some saw the need to be faithful to Christ. Friends, understand this. If we are faithful to Christ, if we're faithful to Christ, then it will bring us trouble. It will bring us trial. It will bring us temptation. Jesus said himself, Luke chapter 6, Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. For that is how their ancestors spoke of the false prophets. That's in Luke chapter 6, verse 26. Woe when everybody speaks well of you. See, it's easy to to hide and and to, to to fill in with the background around us. But if we're faithful, if we're growing and, and being who God wants us to be, then, then trials will come. They're necessary. The third truth here, our trials are purifying. They're purifying. Here's the heart of the matter, verse 7. These trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, they result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. There's a very important word here, proved genuine. In Greek, it's dakoma. It is. Let me explain it this way. If you're a Chevrolet um, engineer, a, a Chevrolet tester, then you're going to test four trucks hoping they do what? They fail. If it's, you're going to test your Chevrolet trucks hoping it what? It holds. It's it stays genuine. Docoma means that this testing of our faith is, is not meant to break us. It is to prove us genuine. It's to grow and make our faith, uh, to bring out the purity of it, to burn off the impurities, to, to test us and try us, that, that our, we know that our faith is strong and we know that it's real. Until your faith is tested, You really don't know, do you? In fact, as I studied in the the psychology of religion, it is a case that when we grow and we're we're young, we really have the faith of those around us, usually our parents. We will tell you what they say. It's funny, when you talk to kids, you get the honest, unvarnished truth, don't you? Your, Your kids... When they go talk to other adults, they'll tell them what you really think politically. (laughs) They'll tell them what you really think about your athletic teams, or uh, they'll tell them what is the state of your finances or your language if you're not careful. Uh, But the kids have usually that faith of their parents. But as we grow, inevitably doubt comes. Inevitably, we begin to think for ourselves and we have to, to decide for ourselves what is truth, what is the direction of our life. And I would say to you many times the, the fulcrum for that testing is when we see hardship, when we see it come. I've heard often the question, why do good things or bad things happen to good people? And it is a a question that's hard to answer. But this is part of the reason, I think, that God allows those those bad things to happen because ultimately it brings this purifying effect. It's not pretty to see how iron is made. It's not pretty to see how gold is made. It happens through a a forge. It happens through a, a tremendously pressure-filled process that, that ends up bringing out that iron that's strong and can be used to construct great buildings. It ends up bringing out that gold, which you can look at its reflection, and you can look in it and see your own reflection. Always people have loved gold and silver. We see the beauty of it, but we don't know what all happens to bring about the process. So it is in our life that we cannot have godly great faith without the purifying effect of the trials and the troubles and the temptations that come. That's what we're seeing here. That's what he's saying here. This is of greater worth than gold, your faith, your living faith in Jesus Christ. You see, it's only when we have that strong faith that we can have in response to our trials, joy, satisfaction, contentment with God. Our trials are purifying. They they bring about a great result. Even though it's unpleasant often, it's painful often in the process. But even in the midst of physical pain, even in the midst of emotional pain, we can have joy. That's where God wants to take us. and. Fourthly, our trials are rewarding. Our trials are rewarding. You might not think that, but this verse says that very thing. I don't know if you caught it. Let's read it again. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, it's not just talking about the rewards in this life. That is true. I believe to have this kind of faith that that you can see in your hardship, joy, I think that's rewarding in and of itself. But this is talking about uh, our eternal reward. Usually when you see the words praise, glory, and honor, they refer to who? They refer to God, us toward God, or they refer to to us talking about Jesus Christ. But the reference point for praise, glory, and honor is not them in this verse, it is the person that has been true, the person whose faith has grown, who who has not turned away from God, but turned toward him in that trouble and trial, that person will receive praise and glory and honor. Can you think about that for a minute? How much would it mean to you to when you see Jesus face to face oh here here's Sid he's been true to me even though he had hard times you're approved by God well done good and faithful servant there's no amount of money I wouldn't give to hear that But God doesn't commerce in money. He already owns it all. What God respects most of all, what God wants to see most of all in you is faith that is unshakable. Faith that stands the test of fiery trials. That's what he wants to see in you. Faith. Now, you might say today, I have nowhere near that kind of faith. Well, today is not your last day on earth. You have before you the rest of your life. And it begins today for you to, instead of seeing your trials as trouble and and that pull you away from God, that that trials that come will bring you closer to God. What today we're doing here by looking at these verses, is what I think Peter intended for the ones who read them in the first century. We're giving ourselves an attitude adjustment. We're we're helping to change our attitude in the way we see the circumstances of our life. The first thing that's necessary in an attitude adjustment is to understand this trouble will come. (laughs) It's not if. Trouble will come. As I've said, if you're faithful to Christ, it's going to bring persecution just for that fact. But we all have bodies that are made of these intricate organic systems that fail. We'll have disease. Ultimately, we'll die, this physical body. We're going to have trouble. We need to understand it. We need to expect it. Listen, if Jesus endured what he endured, how could we say, I can't believe this is happening to me. How can we think that we somehow should sail through life without any trouble or trial when Jesus himself modeled for us that you have in this life troubles and trials of many kinds. Secondly, as you want to create an attitude adjustment in your life about your trials and troubles, think this. Trouble is meant to draw closer to the Lord. It's meant to draw us closer to the Lord, not away from him. Our... Choice is this to think that our trials make our faith better instead of letting our trials make our faith bitter. Our challenge is this to think about our trials making our, un, our unproved faith improved. Our trial is this to, to seek out the Lord his truth, his teaching, his presence, his encouragement, his mercy, instead of turning away from him and, and facing it with our limited powers, our limited understanding. In Hebrews, it has this curious passage that we want to look at just for a moment here. <clears throat> In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And if you've completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son, it says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens, he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure leadership or hardship is discipline. God is treating you as his children For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for us. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined for us a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good. In order that we may share in his holiness, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. If we're honest about it, a lot of our troubles and trials come because of our own sin, don't they? A lot of our troubles and trials because of our weakness, of our decision to do things our way instead of God's way. And in those trials and troubles that come, God brings discipline not because he wants us to to be uh, forever thinking about our sin, not because he wants us forever to, to be wallowing in it. He brings it to us because he loves us and wants us to understand, to let our faith change our future decisions, our future ways, our future relationships. Trouble is meant to draw us closer to the Lord, not away from him. And finally, trouble is meant to be used and not wasted. It's meant to be used and not wasted. One of the worst things we can do is after we get through a hard time to slip back in to our old ways of doing things our way and not God's way. Oftentimes, the the bump up in our faith in times of trouble Is temporary and in that we waste our trials and troubles instead of use them our goal is this to spend every day of our life with our life in God's hands and not ours you know you have that decision you can make every day you do make every day is my life going to be in God's hands or is it in my hands Am I in control, or is it God in control of my life? A basketball in my hands is worth about $20. A basketball in LeBron James' hands is worth about $42 million. It all depends on whose hands it's in. A baseball in my hands is worth about $6. A baseball in Clayton Kershaw's hands is worth about $120 million. depends on whose hands it's in. A tennis racket's useless in my hands. Just gives me tennis elbow. A tennis racket, Serena Williams' hands, is a Wimbledon championship. It all depends on whose hands it's in. A rod in my hands will keep away a wild animal, perhaps. A rod in Moses' hands will part the mighty sea. It all depends on whose hands it's in. A slingshot in my hands is a kid's toy. A slingshot in David's hand is a mighty weapon. It all depends on whose hands it's in. Two fish and five loaves of bread in my hands is a couple of fish sandwiches. Two fish and five loaves in God's hands will feed thousands. It depends on whose hands it's in. Nails in my hand might produce a birdhouse. Nails in Jesus Christ's hands will produce salvation for the entire world. It all depends on whose hands it's in. You see, your troubles and trials can break you, they can destroy you, or they can build you. They can grow you. They can bring you to the point where God will give you praise and glory and honor one day. But it all depends on whose life your hands are in. Fathers, we think about these things. I pray today that that you have given us an attitude adjustment. I think, well, I'm sure many of us are struggling with stuff right now. Whether it's relationship troubles, financial difficulties, health concerns. Or maybe our faith has been wavering. Maybe because of the hard stuff we're going through. I thank you for this truth. I thank you that for us, this is not our home. That this place is a, a place to grow our faith. To where no matter what we're going through, we can be satisfied with you. We can be content with you. We can rejoice. So today, help us, Father, to in our troubles to turn to you. To draw close to you and not away from you. Help us to, to determine we're going to give you our life. Our life is in your hands no matter what. And we thank you, Father, for waking us up here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.